good morning and welcome to our final week of our series on Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're visiting with us and you have children, this is the time you can go ahead and go and follow Lauren out the door and down the hallway and you will have a lesson a little more age appropriate for you. The rest of you, we're going to finish up this series uh, that we started about a month ago looking at some of the lesser known references to Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, we may or may not have known uh, what some of these were, but uh, I think it's good for us to, to know them. It's good for us to see that the Bible is true, that the things that were predicted hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth came true, because it only reinforces our faith. Not that any of you are lacking faith this week at all, but... Um, it does just reinforce that, that God knows what he's doing, that, that, that we can believe what he says, that if his word says it, we can bank our lives on the fact that it's true. Uh, about a month ago, we started the series and we began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And we learned that this was a reference to what would happen to Jesus at Calvary when he went to the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross. That was Satan striking the first blow. But we know that three days later, Jesus came back to life and crushed Satan and crushed sin and crushed death and the grave. And we are forever grateful from that, for that. We also looked at Exodus chapter 33, verses 21 and 22. When Moses is, is asking the Lord to reveal himself to him, and it says, the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And so last week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, we understood that Jesus was that rock and how he protects us from the wrath of God and how he protects us from so many different things in our lives. And he, he hides our souls in the cleft of that rock. Last week, we talked about Numbers chapter 21. We saw Moses taking a, a bronze snake and placing it on a pole, which seemed like witchcraft or pagan worship or something like that. But we actually know that this was connected to the New Testament in what would happen to Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So I think it's important for us to see these prophecies, to see how they were, were mentioned in the Old Testament, to see how they came true in the New Testament, to see those connections that the two of those things have. And it just reinforces our belief that what God says will take place is going to take place. What he says will happen will happen. Again, these these. These prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth. And that, that tells me that we can consider the reliability of God and, and know that, that he's going to be there for us. We can consider the, the reliability of God's word, his promises. If God promises us something, he's going to fulfill that promise. And these things are promised in his word, and he's faithful, and he's trustworthy, and he has quite the track record. And so that's why I'm not getting worked up over different things that happen in this world. Because the Bible tells me we weren't made for this world anyway. This world isn't our home. We are just citizens of another land. 
and, and, and we shouldn't get too attached to this world. That's why I'm not going to get so worked up over uh, things that are taking place around me, such as um, COVID, you know. Again, we're reading. I don't know if any of you got worked up this weekend. Like, oh, no, things are ramping up overseas. It might hit us again. And it might. I don't know. But I'm not going to get worked up over it because, you know, I'm trusting everything's going to be okay. God's in control. I think some have been getting worked up maybe over what's happening in Russia and the Ukraine. And I understand. I get it. I get it. You know, World War III could break out and nukes could start flying. But I'm not going to worry about it because God tells me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if the worst of the worst happens, I'm in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Oh. I remember one time when I was a kid, my dad was worried. My dad smoked for over 40 years, and really that's what, that's what took his life. And I remember him having a conversation with our preacher one time in the church that we grew up in. And he, and he, said, he said, preacher, tell me. He said, uh, I smoke. Am I going to go to heaven? He goes, I, I, he goes, well, he goes, I think you're going to go to heaven, but I think you're going to get there a lot sooner than you want to get there if you keep smoking. You know? and, and, and so that's kind of the way that I, I think that we need to uh, understand what's going on in our world. Sure, some crazy things might happen, and, and I, I don't know, but we're going to go to heaven maybe soon. That's why, that's why the early church prayed, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. You know, it's not that I don't want to die. I don't want to die today. I don't want to leave this world, but, but I'm telling you, if I do, if you do, and you believe in Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be in his presence. And that's a glorious, glorious thing. We can bank on it. We can trust our lives on it. And that's why when I see these Old Testament prophecies happening exactly as they're predicted, it strengthens my assurance that the Lord's word is true. It's going to happen just like he says it's going to happen. And when I turn all the way to the end of the book and I read the book of Revelation and I see that we win, well, I'm going to rely on that regardless of what's happening around me. So today, here's what I want to do. I want us to turn our attention to the prophecies concerning Jesus. There are so many of them in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus and his birth. That's what I want us to look at today. And, and honestly, I don't understand. Caleb and I were having this conversation this week in the office. I don't understand how, how people can see these prophecies and how they were predicted. All of these different prophecies about Jesus foretold hundreds of years before Jesus, and they came true, every one of them in him came true, how they can't believe. You know, I can't even fill out NCAA brackets for one day and be right. You know, it took me about one game, I think, to, to kind of blow it. And, and here's all of these predictions that came true in Jesus. So here's what I want to do. This is going to be a little bit different than some of the sermons that I usually preach. I, I usually kind of, uh, I feel like I want to give you some application. Like, here's the scripture. Here's what I can take and do with it. But, but, but I'm going to do that a little bit different uh, <clears throat> today. What, what I want to do is I want you to walk out of here um, with the assurance that God's word is true. You might not take some of these things that I say and be able to apply them to what you're doing in the office or in school or, or wherever you may be on Monday. But I want you to walk out of here today having a stronger faith in what you've heard that was predicted came true. And maybe today your faith will you just have a little more confidence in, in, in the things that are going on uh, in your life. And what God is, is promising in, in your life. So here's prophecy number one. Here we go. 
the first prophecy I want to deal with today is this. The Messiah would come from the seed of a woman. And we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Again, you know, we read that just a moment ago. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he will bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel and all that. We've talked about that a few months. But what we haven't talked about uh, is, is the fulfillment of how Jesus was to be born of a woman. Okay? Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when... The set time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, some people might think, well, that's not all that big of a deal. And we'll deal with a little bit more of this a little bit later on. But it is kind of a, a big deal because what God could have done is that God could have just sent his son down to earth as a fully grown man that just appeared out of nowhere, some kind of like a superhero you know, where he just would have just um, come out of the sky and, and appeared and, and, and here he is, believe in him, right? But he didn't do that. And, and we'll explain that a little bit more later on. He didn't do that. He was born of a woman. Prophecy number two, the Messiah would come from Jewish people. How many of you grew up with a picture similar to this in your house? Raise your hand if you grew up with a picture similar to that in your house. I had one in our house that was similar to this. I couldn't find it online, but, but it was very similar to this, only it, it, when, when you looked at it, it didn't matter where you sat in the room, his eyes were looking at you. Did anybody else have that picture? Was that a little bit creepy? Were, did you walk a little straighter in your life because you had that picture in your, at least what you did in your house, because you knew, you know, his eyes were, were watching you. But here's the deal. He does not look real Jewish in that picture, right? right? In fact, Isaiah 53, 2 says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should des- desire him. I don't know, that picture, he's a pretty good looking dude in that picture. And, and uh, uh, can I say that? Yeah, I can say that. Uh, and, and, and I also don't think that he looked like Kenny Loggins. Have you seen the Kenny Loggins picture, right? And so... This is a picture that has been painted of Jesus on the left. The one on the right is Kenny Loggins. All you 80s people will know who who that is. Um, But I don't think he looked like that either. Maybe a little more Jewish in the first one, but still not Jewish. And I also don't think that he looked like Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, or Revenge of the Sith. I don't want to make light of what Jesus look like but I give you these pictures to say he probably didn't look much like that right he didn't look like what we think he looked like he wasn't white he wasn't black he was Jewish he wasn't even American yeah Deuteronomy 18 18 and 19 says I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth he will tell them everything I command him I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name and this was fulfilled in the gospels in Luke chapter 2 he records it this way so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And David was certainly Jewish. That's who Jesus was. That was his makeup. That was his DNA. The Old Testament also says he'd come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all those things were fulfilled in the New Testament as well. We see evidence of those as well. So he was Jewish. Prophecy number three. The Messiah would be an heir to the throne of David. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. 
establishing and upholding it with, right, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so in the New Testament, here's the fulfillment of it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, the angel says to Mary, he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And this is an angel of the Lord saying this to Mary. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. Now, this next one, this fourth prophecy that I want to share with you, not only was mentioned hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, it was happening while Jesus walked the earth, and it is still happening today. Prophecy number four, the Messiah would be despised and rejected by men. Isaiah mentions in chapter 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Now, I think this is really important for us to grasp this one. I think this is really important for us to understand why this, this prophecy is so powerful. Back in those days, even in our time today, this is not how we would make up a story. This is not how we would write a story. If we were going to have a Messiah come, if we were going to have a new king come, he would come from this, this uh, uh, royal lineage, you know, every, everybody would be, I and mean, he did come from royal lineage, but, but, but it, it would be bigger than that. It would be better than that. He certainly wouldn't be a people that, or a person that people would despise. He wouldn't be a person that people would hate. It wouldn't be a person that people rejected, right? It, it would be someone like, we would portray him as like this well-liked warrior who would never have to suffer for anything. He would have everything that he needed, everything that he wanted. He'd be almost like, again, superhero kind of qualities. That's the way we would write the story. But Isaiah said, no, that's not how it's going to be at all. And, and this is another reason why I don't believe the story is made up. This is another reason why I think we can bank our lives on the very fact that God's word is true. We would not have written it like this. If we were making it up. Here's what it says in Luke 22, 63. And then on into verse 1 and 2 of chapter 23. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. And then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Then they spit in his face. This is Matthew 26, 67. Again, if we're making up a story, you're going to have your king, the savior of your people, you're going to have people spitting in his face. They spit in his face and struck him with their fists. And others slapped him. And Mark tells us in chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, Pilate asked the people, what shall I do then? The one you call the king of the Jews. And they shouted, crucify him. This isn't the treatment you give a, a king. During this time period, the land of Palestine was ruled by the Romans. 
And many Jews expected the Messiah to be this military leader. We've talked about this often. They expected him to be this military leader that would come in and uh, rally the troops and get the Jewish people all excited and they would go in and they would overthrow the Roman government and drive them out. That's what they were expecting. Other Jews were expecting him to be a prophet more like Moses. The Jewish people wanted the Messiah to return to the glory days. They wanted it to go back and be like it was under King David. But they got Jesus, a guy who was ticking everybody off. (laughs) The religious leaders hated him because he could see their hearts and and he would call them what they were. He would call them, them hypocrites, right? And so they hated him because he was challenging them. He was challenging their authority. He was threatening their very way of life because he was calling them what they were. He was calling them out for their hypocrisy, which everybody else was afraid to do. The common Jewish people hated him because they weren't getting the military leader that they thought they were going to get. And so they thought he's just, you know, he's created this lie. He's claiming to be the Messiah when he's just some crazy person. And the Romans hated him because he was often referred to as a king. And he had a large following that was starting to gather. And so they felt threatened by him. They started to get really nervous. And people today still hate him. Because he challenges their very way of life. They know that if they believe Jesus is who he says he is, they've got to straighten some things out. They've got a decision to make. Well, if I believe he's who he says he is, I've got to make some changes in my life. And so not only was he despised and rejected by men, then he still is. Prophecy number five. The Messiah would suffer for others. Back to Isaiah 53 again. Verse 5, the prophet wrote about the coming Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. A transgression is nothing but a fancy way to say a rebellion. You openly rebel against someone. In this case, it's God. And so Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was, he was wounded for our rebellions. He hadn't rebelled against God. In fact, just the opposite. He had done everything that his heavenly father wanted him to do, even to the point of going to the cross and dying for our sins. And it was our rebellion against God that caused all the trouble in the first place. And so Jesus Christ, in His mercy and in His grace, He was wounded to remedy the problem. And so when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, some translations say hanging on the tree, we might We might tend to think, well, he must have done something horribly wrong. There's some people that think that. He must have done something wrong for his own father to treat him that way, to punish him in such a way. And Isaiah said, this is the way we would react. Isaiah 53, 4, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. As the message paraphrase puts it, we thought he brought it all on himself. That God was punishing him For his own failures. Here's the deal church. We're wrong if we're thinking that Christ's suffering. Was caused by something that he did. The only thing he did was. 
He was willing to leave heaven to come to earth and do it. His punishment was for our sake. It was for our sin. He did it for us. And it takes humility for us to admit that we're the ones that should have been crucified. It was our sin that was laid on Christ and that He was mercifully taking that punishment for us. The punishment that everyone in this room deserved. I think it's important for us to understand that Isaiah said, He was wounded for our transgressions. You notice Isaiah didn't say he was wounded for your transgressions. He said he was wounded for our transgressions. Now why is that such a big deal? It's because here's this guy, a prophet, that God is speaking to. Saying, listen, we're all in the same boat. Even me, a prophet, he was wounded for our transgressions. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Of God, The prophet could have listed the many sins that the Israelites were guilty of, but he doesn't do that here. Instead, he places himself in their midst and pictures himself just as guilty as they are. Sixth prophecy I want to share with you is concerning where he'd be born. Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. You know, we've heard this one many times. Many times, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Again, if I'm writing this story, that's not where I'd have him born. You realize that Bethlehem was Podunkville? Does everybody understand what Podunkville is? Bethlehem is just this little itty-bitty insignificant town uh, in, in, in Judea. It was, it was not a significant place at all. If I'm writing the story, that's not where he's coming from. He's coming from somewhere much more glamorous than that. You think of the smallest, most insignificant town you've ever been to. That's what Bethlehem was like. As I was writing this message this week, my mind was taken to the Beverly Hillbillies and Bug Tussle. Anybody remember Bug Tussle from the Beverly Hillbillies? That's what I'm thinking. That's kind of what Bethlehem reminds me of, maybe, is a place like that. Because here's the deal. The city folk would look at Bethlehem and they would think, they're country folk, you know, and city folk don't look really too nicely on country folk most of the time. And, and, and this is where the Messiah was predicted to be born. And I think it's important to understand what the word Bethlehem means. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. What a coincidence that the bread of life, as Jesus has referred to in Scripture, came from the house of bread. Do you think God knows what He's doing? Do you think it's an accident, a coincidence that all of these things came together like they did? Micah 5, 2 predicts it. Luke 2, 4 and 7 tells us that it came to be. Prophecy number 7. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Again, this is important. Back to the prophecy that said he would be born of a woman. Not just any woman, but a virgin 
woman. Therefore, the Lord will give himself, or the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. This is fulfilled in several of the gospel accounts. Luke puts it this way, chapter 2, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And you skip down to verses 30 and 31. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. You say, why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that Jesus was born of a virgin? A couple of reasons, I think. One is it shows that Mary becoming pregnant was a supernatural act of God. This wasn't a situation where Mary and Joseph were like, oops, we goofed. Even though that's what a lot of people in the day thought. Secondly, the virgin birth is very essential to us because it proves that Jesus was perfect. He didn't inherit the curse of sin that entered into the world through Adam. And so he needed to be born of a woman. He needed to be born perfectly without the curse of sin on him so that when Jesus went to the cross, he was the perfect, pure, spotless Lamb of God the sacrifice that would be able to atone for our sins and give us the opportunity for eternal life. And that brings us to our final prophecy. The Messiah would be eternal. Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. So not only does Jesus exist for all of eternity in the future, he has always existed, unlike what some um, branches of religion teach that, that God was always in existence and he created Jesus and then Jesus helped in creation. That's not at all what the Bible teaches, but there are some sects out there that teach that. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Isn't that an amazing thought? To think that when when everything is gone, again, worst case scenario, World War III breaks out. This earth burns up. We will exist forever with Jesus. Hebrews 1.8 But about the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. And the good news for us, the good news for the Jews back then and any Jew today that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the good news for everyone who has ever lived is this. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is eternal and He wants you to live with Him eternally. He wants you to have that opportunity. That's why He came in the first place. That's why all of these predictions that we read about in the Old Testament, this was planned from the very beginning that Jesus would be born like He was born and go to the cross and die for our sins so that we would have the opportunity for everlasting life. And that's good news for everyone. And I'm banking my life on this truth 
And this truth gives me hope. Especially when I look around and I see the discouraging things that sometimes happen in our world. It gives me hope to know that this world is not our home. And I'm not going to worry because God has always come through for me. He's always delivered on His promises. What He said is true. And He always will come through for us. Do you believe that this morning? Everything that He says He will do, He will do. And He said this, and this is what I want to close with. He tells us in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Do you believe that this morning? Have you believed it enough to do it? You know, if, if Jesus would have said, you know, when I look at all of these prophecies and how they all came to be, if Jesus would have said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you, in order to be saved, you need to stand on your head in a corner, gurgle peanut butter, and recite the Lord's Prayer. Right? If he had have said that, I'm going to do that. I'm thankful he didn't, but if he would have, I would do it because everything that he says is true. Everything that he has mentioned in scripture, I believe is true and he's going to come through for us. He did not make it hard for us. I don't know why we make it so hard. He didn't make it hard for us. He just said, believe in me, repent of your sins, be baptized. That's it. And allow him to change your life from the inside out. You, became, you become a new person in Jesus, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you live your life for him. You live under his guidance. Not because you're earning your way to heaven, but because you love him so much. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. And maybe you're here and, and you've not made that decision yet. You've not said, Jesus, I believe. You've not said, I, I want to make heaven my eternal home. Lord, I trust your word that you believe what you say you're going to do or that, that you're going to follow through with what you say you're going to do. I believe that. If you want to make that decision today, we encourage you during this song to come to the front. Or maybe you're watching online and, and you want to make that decision. Would you just text the word ready to our church connection number that's, that's on the screen um, and uh, we'd love to reach out to you and talk to you about what you need to do to enter into this relationship with a faithful God who always delivers one more prophecy <laughs> that I want to share with you and I think you probably all know where I'm going Jesus said I am coming back And when he comes back, he's not, he's not coming back as a mild little baby in an insignificant town in Bethlehem. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says, every eye shall see. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And he is exactly who he said he was. Let's pray.